Brett, as soon as I'm no at the bottom. Time for that right now. We've got to go. We got to go. Sorry. Yeah, 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 Nick. I'm coming. I'm coming. Okay. Um, sorry, guys. <laughs> we uh, we got to go. When we put out the final episode of season four of Where There's Smoke in May 2018, it was not meant to be a series finale, though we did literally drive off into the sunset. But as time passed, it started to feel that way. As they say, life got in the way. And the more time that passed, the more it seemed like... The show is dead. Okay, maybe that's a bit harsh, but we had no set plans to make new episodes. We had not talked about it. We had no timeline, no marketing plan. Nothing was happening. Meanwhile, in another part of the world, entrepreneur, author, and small business coach Rhett Power was working on an article for Inc.com. The whole intent of the article is that there's just so much crap out there and some programs that are really good. You know, if you want something really good um, that's uplifting and, and well done, then, you know, your show is one of them. And so that was the whole intent of the article. Fast forward back to our world, and it was now about a year since we'd put out any new content. And suddenly, we were getting all these downloads. I mean, without us doing anything, our show was back to getting as many downloads a week as we were getting when we were making new episodes. In addition, there was increased activity on social media and emails. Something was happening. And both Nick and I were like, What? What is happening? <laughs> what? So in August of last year, we asked you. Tell us who you are. Where'd you come from? <laughs> How did you find us? Uh, you know, was there an article out there? Did someone mention us? Well, it turns out there was an article out there. It was that article that Rep Power wrote entitled 10 Inspirational Podcasts That Will Make You Better. What we discovered through responses like the one Michelle Parrott sent saying, I was simply Googling life-changing podcasts and yours came up. And conversations like the one I had with listener Andrea Brown. I think I typed in the search box something like motivational or inspirational or some, some sort of life, you know, goodness. What we discovered was that a large majority of that growth the reason hundreds of new people found our little podcast was because of Rhett Power's article. And so it worked. Rhett's intention to write an article to help people find these shows worked. People found our show. And with that small leap in listenership and the validation and the energy that came with it, Nick and I started talking about the show again. That started a chain of events that led us to coming back with new episodes in May of this year. Simply put, we are not here talking to you right now unless Rhett Power writes that article. And so I called Rhett to thank him and to tell him the difference he's made. And I just thought, you know, all those people would have, I mean, maybe a couple of them, but most of them would have never found the show if it wasn't for that article you wrote and the, the ripple effect of that article you wrote has just been massive. It's been massive for me and Nick. It's been really big for the show. 
you know, I, hopefully we'll continue to persevere and grow the show. And, and I, you know, we just wanted to share. We just wanted to say thank you, but also just, I don't know. We never know the little things we do, how the impact, we don't always know the impact they make. And I just wanted you to know that that article's made a massive impact for a lot of people and especially us. Thank so, you. That's great to know. Yeah. And, but you know, you deserve it, man. I mean, look, the show is fantastic. It's great. I mean, it's wonderful content. And um, I'm glad you're doing it. I'm glad you're back in production and, and growing again. This is our last show before summer break. And we didn't want to wait until the fall to say thank you to Rhett. It's often impossible to know what impact our actions have in the world. But in this case, it's clear, and we wanted to share it. Also, we want to thank you, our listeners. Thank you for sticking around and coming back with us. Whenever you jumped on this ride, whether it was five years ago or five minutes ago, we hope you stay on it. And spread the word. Share the show any and every way you can. As I said, this is our last episode before our summer break. If you could do one thing for us, it would be to make sure you signed up for our mailing list at wheretheressmoke.co. We've got some things to share this summer, and we don't want you to miss out on them. Now, if you could do two things for us, it would be to share your favorite episode of Where There's Smoke with somebody you care about. Whether it's an older episode or something from this half season, there's got to be something that would resonate with somebody you know. Anyway, that's it for now. We're so happy to be back with our dear explorers. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we are exploring change through the lens of where we've been and with the intention towards where we want to go. What is change? How do we accept it? How do we fight it? And how do we use change for good? My name is Brett Gaida. And I'm Nick Jaworski. Let's start the show. been a time of, of changes, but uh, change is good. Change is life. Change is hard. Change is frightening, isn't it? Change is the essential process of all existence. Change is always good. Change is always hard. Change is inevitable. Change is the only constant in life. Heraclitus said that back in 500 BCE, and I know this goes without saying, but what was true 2,500 years ago is definitely true right now. In fact, for a variety of reasons, it's easy to argue that the rate of change has only accelerated over time. I mean, 30 years ago, the idea of holding a device in your pocket with the ability to reach out to somebody on the other side of the planet was purely science fiction. Now that technology is so ubiquitous that I just give my old version of it to my 11-year-old. Back when I was a new band teacher, I was just struggling to get my freshman band to work with me. Sure, some of the kids went with the program, but there was definitely a handful of students 
who made teaching a bit more difficult than I had anticipated. They would get out of their seats, they would throw things, they would talk out of turn, they were just kinda rude, and I just didn't have the skills to handle it. That'll teach you to teach me. One day, after one of these classes, I came back into the office and saw my mentor, Jan, sitting there. She'd obviously heard the whole thing, and she looked at me and said, Remember, change is bad. It was such a kind gesture from her. She was an excellent veteran band teacher, and I'm sure she could have pointed out at least a dozen ways that I could have done better. That's undoubtedly true. But all Jan did was to remind me that a lot of this issue wasn't really about me at all. It was about my students' relationship to change. My very existence in that classroom represented something new and therefore scary to them. So I wrote Change is Bad on a post-it note and put it on my computer monitor as a constant reminder to just keep going. I'd come in from a bad rehearsal and I would see the note on my monitor and I would just feel a little better. One day, months later, I came into my office and noticed that the little post-it note had experienced its own change. A student had scratched out the word bad and replaced it with the word good, and that they had included a simple smiley face. It was such a small gesture, but it meant so much to me at the time. At least one kid, and I don't know who, but it seemed like they understood what was happening. And that felt like a victory, a small one, but important. That was over 10 years ago, and I have that post-it note framed on my desk. I see it every day. Change is good. Smiley face. It's a constant reminder that if you just stick with it with good intent, eventually, even if it's small, change can happen. Vipassana is a process, is a technique of truth realization, self realization, realization of the truth pertaining to oneself, within oneself, by oneself, at the experiential level. That is Esen Goenka speaking on the ancient meditation technique called Vipassana. And while it is all that, Vipassana meditation is also largely about managing change. It is about understanding at an almost cellular level that everything changes. It is in flux. Things arise and pass away. Rising, passing, anicca, anicca, anicca. And our ability to accept that impermanence is a key aspect of our happiness and our effectiveness, I would say. We can't control change, but we can control how we react to it. Let's talk about what Vipassana meditation is. Vipassana is a technique of self-transformation through self-observation. The technique is taught through 10-day residential courses, which take place at over 200 Vipassana meditation centers in 94 countries around the world. Participants follow a prescribed code of discipline during these 10 days. This code includes 
Noble silence. Any form of communication with fellow students, whether by speaking, gestures, eye contact, written notes, etc., is prohibited. No drugs, no alcohol, no sexual activity. No devices. You are not permitted to play music, listen to music, read, write, take notes, do yoga, or any strenuous exercise. Basically, any avenue you can use to distract yourself, to escape being with your own thoughts and feelings, is prohibited. It is a purely practical experience of looking inward. Now, I've done two of these 10-day courses in my life. The first one was incredible. It was at Dhamma Medina on the North Island of New Zealand. Beautiful surroundings. One of the most powerful and peaceful experiences of my life. But this story isn't about that experience. This story is about my second 10-day Vipassana course. I left work that day in San Francisco and started the four-hour drive to Dhamma Mahavana in North Fork, California. I don't even know how I rationalized taking the time off. Our business had gone through the ringer and was struggling. I was like a hamster running on a wheel just to keep myself afloat financially, while also dealing with relationship issues and big life questions of who I was and what I wanted. But I kept my promise to go. And as I was driving across the Bay Bridge, I was excited. I needed this. My first retreat in New Zealand was such a powerful and relaxing experience, and I was looking forward to getting some more of that calm. Spoiler alert, he wouldn't. What I was failing to remember was the journey of Vipassana is a journey of self. And I was in a very different place on that day in California than I was a few years earlier in New Zealand. And I was going to realize that very soon. The morning bell for day one went off at 4 a.m. And the first two-hour meditation sit started at 4.30 a.m. When one's mind is racing and it's been racing for months upon months upon months, suddenly sitting down to meditate for two hours is damn near impossible. And my mind was racing. And yet simultaneously, time was crawling. It was like going for an 80-mile bike ride and watching the odometer the whole time. Okay, point one, point two, point five, one mile. Okay, one mile. All right, all right. 1.1. 1.2, 1.3. And that was just the first two hour sit. We meditated for 10 and a half hours that day and 10 and a half hours every day. When you attend a 10 day Vipassana retreat, all you do is eat, sleep, walk, and meditate. Eat, sleep, walk, And the emphasis is on the work. The work is self-purification, being with yourself. Now, if some of you are thinking, sounds like pretty easy work, Brett. 
I'll suggest you are underestimating how hard it can be at times to just be with you and your thoughts with no escape, nowhere to go. Eat, sleep, walk, and meditate. It can be some of the most intense, exhausting, and trying work you will ever do in your life. Because in our everyday lives, often when change gets hard or we get uncomfortable, we take a break. We step away. We distract ourselves. We watch a movie. Oh, I have time to see one little movie. Put on the game. Let's watch some footy. Have a drink. I need a drink. Swipe our way through Tinder profiles. Swipe, 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 swipe. Often subconsciously avoiding or just not willing to do the work that has to be done to stay the course and actualize that change. And I had similar feelings in North Fork. I wanted to get out. I thought about leaving many times. No one was holding me there. But I had made a commitment to myself to stay. And I had also committed to that code of discipline. Any avenue I could use to distract myself, to escape me being with my own thoughts and feelings, was prohibited. And so, I just stayed in it. Now, at some point, at least I went from counting the minutes to counting the hours, but every day felt like an eternity. I remember hitting the halfway point, like vividly remember it. I was sitting on a rock, staring into the forest, and I realized I was halfway there. And I remember thinking, okay, it's downhill from here. There is more behind me than in front of me. I can make it. But things kept crawling and dragging until the tail end of day eight. I don't know exactly what happened. It wasn't an earth-shattering aha. Maybe my intention just wore my resistance out. But in an instant, things cracked open for me. Something shifted and I got a glimpse into what I was avoiding. And I was present for the first time in a long time. And then time was just time again. A couple days later, I was driving back to San Francisco. Windows open, wind in my hair, music playing. I remember this overwhelming feeling of gratitude for the perspective I now had and for my life. Instead of living in the and not even realizing it, I could now see it. And I believed I could do something about it. But if I had quit early, or if at any point during those 10 days, I'd let myself escape into one of those distractions, Squirrel! I would not have made that progress. I would not have got that payoff. I only got there because I stayed in it. As Robert Frost wrote, there is no way out but through.
Okay, so here's the thing. Ugh, I hate when people say that. Here's the thing. It's so stupid. Just say the thing. You don't need to introduce the concept that there's going to be a thing. This whole episode is about reflecting on the very nature of change. What is change? How do we accept change? How do we fight change? And how do we use change for good? Way back in episode nine on caring, I talked about forces. In physics, an object will remain going in the same direction it is going unless or until a force acts on it. Now, going all the way back to how we started this show, Rhett Power and the article he wrote was one of those forces for us. That article changed the direction of our lives, this show, and in turn, maybe some of your lives. And so, yes, as Nick said, change is a constant. You can't stop change from happening. But through your actions, especially if consistent, you can be a force on it. You can nudge it, deflect it, and move it toward things that you want. And the thing is, you're never going to just trip and fall into positive change. You won't just accidentally find yourself curing cancer or systemic racism or climate change. If you want to make a positive change for yourself or for the world, then your best chance to do it is deliberately. So with that in mind, we'd love to try an experiment. We would love to help. We have 30 tiny field notes journals that we'd love to send to anybody on the planet. I will even throw a pencil in for you. All you have to do is commit to yourself that you're going to spend one minute a day thinking about how you might be able to impact change in your world. Just write down the date, jot down some thoughts, and then move on with your day. Better yet, use the minute you spend in your journal to not be on social media. So it's a win-win. To get your journal, simply send us an email at connect at wherethersmoke.co. Just give us your name and address. That's it. And again, anywhere in the world, okay? We are talking to you, Ghana. What's up, Jerome? Lisa in Melbourne, Mason and Elisa in the USA, Mark in Nairobi, Chris in Canada, Pippa in the UK. We are talking to all of you out there. Just send us an email and we will send you a journal and a bonus pencil. And then we'll reach out to you later in the summer and see how's it going. And hopefully we'll share some great listener stories in the fall. Now listen, I know that one minute a day feels kind of dumb. Maybe you heard that and went, that's stupid and it's not for me. But the idea is that it's just the start and that you can make a difference. I've been working with Michael Hyatt and company for years now. Michael was even a guest on this show. One of their main products is a planner that's supposed to help you achieve your goals. So I would go to Nashville, sit with Michael and Megan, record these podcasts, hear about how great it was to plan your goals, and I would hear all of these stories of people who had done some really amazing things through simply making an intentional plan. But in the back of my mind, I would hear all that and I would think, oh, well, that's not for me. I would just f*** it up. I was even given a planner to try out if I wanted. So first it sat on my shelf, and every once in a while I would pull it out, flip through it, and then I would put it back on the shelf thinking, well, that's not for me, I'm just going to f*** it up. Eventually I moved it from the shelf to the desk, where it 
sat for literally months. I'd pick it up every once in a while, and then I would put it back down thinking, well, that's not for me. It's too hard, and I'll just f*** it up. One time I even took it to bed with me. This is 100% true. I just like held it and flipped through the pages in the hopes that I would become more comfortable with it. And then one day, I just decided that it would cost me nothing to give it a shot. I told myself, I'll probably fail, but what if I didn't? What if I could actually change how I organize my life? What impact would that have on myself? and for the people that I love. And so one day I just started and it's been hugely helpful. And that's the thought behind this tiny journal that we want to send to you. If you could just push past that limiting belief of this is stupid or this isn't for me or this isn't gonna actually do anything, perhaps your one minute a day of deliberate reflection can turn into something else. I don't know, maybe it doesn't do that, but what's there to lose? So give it a shot, and let's see if even the tiniest commitment to change can make a difference. Greetings, fellow explorers, and welcome to the credits. I want to start off with a very special thank you and acknowledgement to Scott and his wife, Sandrine. In the opening of today's show, I mentioned that Rep Power's article started a chain of events that led us to coming back in May of this year. Scott and Sandrine are a pivotal link in that chain. Without their support, we are also not here talking to you right now. They are living examples of paying it forward and forever a part of the WTS story. Thank you, Scott and Sandrine. Some social media shout-outs. Big love to Sarah Geraldson in Milwaukee for her kind Facebook message. On Twitter, thank you to GT Scholars and Tara Hunt for the signal boosts. On Instagram, we appreciate the love from Krista G. Shade. And longtime listener and supporter Zena in the UK gave WTS signal boosts on all three platforms. You can also find, follow, comment, and share where there's smoke. On Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, we are at ExploreWTS on all three platforms. As we said in the opening, now, like right now, now, like maybe even pause this and go do it, is the time to get on our mailing list. We are going to be working on a new newsletter over the summer and also have some significant announcements before we come back in the fall. So head to wherethersmoke.co to sign up. And if you want, while you're there, you can check out complete show notes with links to videos, articles, and books referenced in every show. Our theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick, and I will hand it to Nick to credit the music in this show. All the music in this week's show came from Blue Dot Sessions. So that's it. Enjoy your summer, everybody. Where There's Smoke is written, adapted, adjusted, amended, developed, edited, modified, mutated, reconditioned, redone, reformed, remodeled, reorganized, revised, recorded, and produced by myself, Brett Gaida, and Nick Jaworski. And as we finish up here, I will remind you to stay in it and be a force for the change you want to see in the world. And with that, I think we're about done. Hey guys, one more thing. Hey, this summer, when you're being inundated with all this American Bicentennial Fourth of July brouhaha, don't forget what you're celebrating, and that's the fact that a bunch of slave-owning, aristocratic white males didn't want to pay their taxes. Yeah! Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next time.